Hello, my father. Uh, hi, Ernie. How are you? Doing good. Getting the dogs past a little altercation. There's uh, oh, no. two dogs. No, not serious, but there's two big dogs in the cafe across the street, and you know, yeah. Garlic wants to go play with them. Quinn wants to bark at them, and so I have to yeah. carry them past <laughs> to avoid rallying everybody I up. I see. Um, Quinn, let it go. So how was how how was your week? You had a good week. It was intense. We had a big deadline due yesterday. So, um, but it went pretty well. I mean, a few glitches here and there, but overall, uh, today's uh, today's work-wise today is much more relaxing. Uh, but like I've got you know many pickups and drop-offs and phone calls like this, so I'm not gonna get any work done until like three o'clock today. So it's kind of crazy, but given the number of late nights and weekends I've put in over the last month, I don't feel bad about it. Oh really? Wow. Okay. Yeah, maybe when we are done, um, Mom also wants to talk to you about the kids coming over and stuff. So uh, can we call back and have a couple of minutes? Yeah, hopefully we'll finish a little early because okay. I have another call at 10. Okay. All right. So, Good. So uh, I, I just posted the, the podcast from yesterday, which was Unconscious Intent, um, which was Chapter 4. So yeah, today uh, and last night I finished yeah, Chapter 5, which is entitled Auction, which is okay. mm-hmm. um, he um, – I guess this is interesting, right, because in some ways this is his – this is his actual founding, right? He is founding both the company where he's actually now mm-hmm. a full, I mean, this is his actual, because his actual company, I guess he's had his own businesses before, but this is where he right. found. Right, yeah, those were grocery, uh, grocery shop and other things. Yeah. From produce, right? He was doing produce, he was doing consignment, really, which yeah. was just buying and selling. And yeah. now he became an oil refiner. And so right. he finally yeah, getting business. into oil, yeah. Getting into oil, right, yeah. Right. He, he, he gets a partnership with a bunch of other people um, yeah. where he's sort of a junior partner, I guess. Or um, And then by the end of it, he, uh, he buys the business at auction from his partners through some interesting... Um, uh, skullduggery is too strong of a word, but... It was not exactly a – actually, it was precisely this ambiguous gray line that defined Rockefeller's morality mm. in that he sort of traps them by his part. Anyway, we'll go into that. But then uh, in a uh, hopefully more uplifting version of the same thing, he finally convinces this girl to marry him. And yeah. so at the end of it, he is he is married – and running his own oil refining business. And uh, that's kind of the plot of this. this you know, the first half is really See, about the oil, uh, and the second half is about yeah, his I think, marriage. You know, if I remember correct, um, he, they had the partnership, and the partner thought his name would be too long or doesn't sound good or something. They didn't include him in the name of the firm, right? Am I correct? Well, that was the that was the other firm I thought was, uh, maybe, but maybe not right. Like the, the, the previous firm, the same same thing happened where uh, he got the firm. Uh, you know, he was the original partner. Then they added a third partner, and they dropped his name because that person was more senior yeah. and more prominent. Right. And then right. I think Rockefeller got rid of him at the end of last chapter. 
Right. And then something similar happened here with the, the oil business, the Clark Brothers, I think it is. Um, yeah. See, uh, one of the things that I remember is it is not the drilling of the oil that's the problem. He realized that refining seems to be the thing that was needed. So, well, that was um, needed. The, the that, was the, that, was, that, that was the point of leverage where you could yeah. actually make sustainable profits. Right. Because drilling for oil was like playing the lottery. That, yeah, like oh, there's a guy that. Uh, Sam Andrews? Knew how, knew, yeah, uh, Andrews, I think is his name. He knew how yeah. to do the refining, so he made him a partner or a colleague or something like that, and then it took off, right? Yeah, yeah. So uh, yeah, no. and and you know the 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 author Ron Cherno talks about uh, how you know Andrews was a uh, pioneer, right? He was one of the first people to figure out in the he was the first, I think the first refinery in Cleveland, right? And this is when people you know, hadn't even you know it was it was a it was a technical marvel, sulfuric mm-hmm. acid. I remember it's actually I read a science fiction story where these people are transported mm. back from the 20th century into 1632. Okay. Um, and, and they're trying to educate the population on modernity. And like um, the, the one of the locals who's really on board with those projects, she goes, and today we're going to learn about sulfuric acid. And like, oh. this is the most amazing thing. And you realize it is because like sulfuric acid is like key to modern chemical processing and that is like the key ingredient in oil refining, in refining oil, is sulfuric acid. Yeah. And like, you know, we don't think about it much today, but I remember at MIT, like the chemical engineers were what we, people at MIT considered hardcore nerds. Because they had to understand all of chemistry, all of engineering, and all, you know, so they had to know chemistry as well as a chemist does. Yeah. They had to understand engineering as well as the mechanical engineer does. And they had to understand large-scale production like a civil engineer does. Yeah. Right? And so they were... Or, they or, were or, yeah, or, or, uh, they also came into business, too, in some ways. Yeah, right, yeah. The, 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 yeah, the, yeah, yeah the, then they had the barrel issue, then, and then because, you know, you had to store those things in barrels. And, and yeah, like apparently that. the Cleveland barrel, they mentioned, it's like when yeah. we still measure things in barrels of oil, and that oh, is yeah. the Cleveland <laughs> barrel, you know, oh, that was there. Right, and and the, the fact that the geography, like he was just in Cleveland, you know, this is what we call these accidental, literally a confluence where two rivers come yeah. together, but where yeah. he was in Cleveland because it was a good place to, to ship goods, and it just so happened that upriver from them in Pennsylvania was where America first discovered oil, right? There's no oh, particular okay. reason it why it had to be there. Yeah. The, yeah. the, 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 the oil itself was in Pennsylvania. Right. Right. That's okay. where he's uh, Harrisburg. And so the, the other thing was uh, also the, the railroads were also playing a very important part in this. And they were also developing at the same time. So right, which is why he company. built his refinery, you know, in this area right near where the railroad was coming. Right. He understood. Yeah. Uh, but this is the thing about Rockefeller. Uh, there's a wonderful line there that struck me. He wasn't just a self-made man. He was a self-invented mm. man because he, like you said, he had mm. no role model. Right. He, he had, had to no, invent things as he went along. He had to invent himself as he yep. went along. 
Right. Right. This is the most extraordinary thing. This is what I call my, you know, founder's father, right? That he um, invented the idea of the scalable uh, technology-based uh, business. Literally, you know, basically almost from whole cloth, right? Is, yeah. You know, the concept of a business existed, and I guess the concept of railroads existed, but those were – this is the interesting thing about a scalable technology startups is that there's something which has high initial fixed cost, and then you can scale it very cheaply. Um, yeah. And we'll talk about that uh, later in his business. But like the railroads were arguably before that, uh, but they were, you know, in order to build a new rail line, you know, every new rail line costs an enormous amount of capital and labor to, right. to build it out. Yeah. Uh, and so, I mean, once you've built that fixed cost, then you can sort of charge for it, you know, continuously. So there's a little bit of that there, but you know, the, the, the massive capital investment was, you know, in order to grow was the norm, right? You know, the people did have factories, people did, but like in order to, that, that was like, let's call that a manufacturing type of business. So you grow by building more stuff. You have physical yeah, I mean, stuff. I think uh, you, you, you know, rail, railroads, Rochelle is a railroad town, right? Yeah. And, and, uh, I think you you know this, uh, but for the record, I'm going to say that you know we have two railroads sure. crossing here, the, the BNSF and the Union Pacific, and mm -hmm. they crossed in Rochelle. So the city fathers put a railroad between the two, called the Rochelle Railroad. And oh really? There. Yeah. So <laughs> we connected the two, and we charged like oh. four cents a, a railroad car for people to use. Well, I didn't so, know that. Ah, oh, yeah. so that they did. So, they, so they, they so they were near there, but they didn't actually have an interchange. Right. So they didn't interchange. Yeah. Right. So only the Rochelle. Oh. So if, uh, some goods come from uh, uh, the Union Pacific to for the storage, and they need to go to BNSF. They cannot do it. They have to use the Rochelle Railroad. And four cents a railroad car doesn't sound much. Sound like much, but it adds up. That's a good source of revenue. <laughs> Yeah, no, I didn't actually know that part of the story. That's fascinating. Yeah, and, yeah. and this is the idea of, uh, this is, you know, this, there's two themes, I think. One is this idea of a point of leverage. Yeah. Like, I obsess over this question a lot, both in you know, work and in mm. ministry, right, is that, like, mm. everyone says, well, let's just do X, because that's what everyone else is doing. Let's go drill for oil, because that's what all the money is. And it's yeah. like, well, you know, the problem with that is that, it's, it, especially then, before geology was a science, yeah. Right, mm -hmm. or at least an engineering discipline, you know, you basically yeah. just got lucky. <laughs> you guessed, or you used like right. a divining rod, like these people did, right? And right. Right. what happened was is that, uh, so you and you made money quickly, you spent it quickly, and you lost it quickly. It seems to be the kind of the norm, <laughs> you know, in, in sort of these gold rush worlds. Um, yeah, because there's no sense of the future, uh, you know, and so. What what Rockefeller was a genius at, among other things, but from a business mm. perspective, what I find most impressive is that he would look at this incredibly messy system, mm. uh, and he would say, "Huh." Uh, he had a really clear sense of his north star. Right, he wants to build a long-term, sustainable, profitable business. Yeah. Uh, right, and therefore. He's saying, okay, where in this complex, messy ecosystem 
can I insert myself in a way that I can extract a lot of value? What do I have to control? Yeah. And he was incredibly patient to wait until he figured out where, what, what it is he wanted to own. Yeah. And then he just, you know, and we see this both in his machinations, I guess is a fair term, right? Is yeah. that he, uh, he had this very contentious relationship with his partners who would threaten, like, whatever he, because he was very, he was, what was it? Um, I, lo- I underlined this phrase, daring envision patient in execution. Oh, that's a good one, yeah. Hmm. Right, and it was profligate in in uh, acquiring assets and frugal in ordinary expenses. Right, so he would save. Hmm. Like we talked about, he would, he would like fight hard to make sure he got every penny from the customer, and right. if he overcharged the customer, to make sure that they got their penny back. Right? right, and this idea that like okay, he figured out he wants to be in the refinery business, he and he wants to keep growing because he thinks that he believes in the future. There's a wonderful. Because everyone's saying like this, everyone is not, is unclear whether oil is a fad, right? Right. Yeah, because yeah, it's right, just yeah, been this right, big yeah. crazy gold rush thing, kind of yeah. like the internet was in the yeah. '90s, right? right? There's a crazy gold rush, and then it crashes, and it's like, oh, is it just a fad? Does it even matter? People are just delusional, yeah. losing their mind. And rocket, uh, and there's a wonderful Jeff Bezos quote, which is that, "Don't ask yourself what will change; ask yourself what will stay the same." And if you can predict what's going to stay the same, then you can make long-term bets. Like customers right. will always, customers are never going to say, give it to me for, you know, give it to me slower for more money. That will never happen. <laughs> People will always prefer things to be faster and cheaper when they're buying stuff. And so, you know, Amazon made that bet and therefore they built out all these massive logistics centers and everything like that. So Rockefeller said, okay, people need illumination. And... Yep. Uh, uh, there's a line there he, the trainer talks about. His, 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 he was getting ready to make this bet, but he needed some sort of sign from God that mm. there was more oil in the earth and that this was the right long-term bet. Yeah, see, they didn't know right? that, right? So they didn't know how yeah. long it was going to last, how it was going to dry up. Yeah. yeah. Right? Or you know, and so, uh, yeah. Well, or, 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 well, yeah. And so uh, the – and, like, you know, the whole um, – so people knew about coal, but like the idea of oil as a thing that was readily available did not yeah. exist, and it was unclear. And and there was this, um, um, you know, gusher at this place that uh, you know with the witch, the witching rod that they found, which was a short-term boom town. But the yeah. implication in the narrative is that this was what convinced Rockefeller to. Uh, double down on oil and take control of the refinery. And also, apparently, this was the boom town that uh, uh, Ida Turnbull's family was associated with, who is yeah. his nemesis, I guess, later in the, the narrative. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, his, his sign from God seems to have uh, coincided with a thorn in his flesh, which is interesting. Yeah. Uh, anyway, the other thing, so this, but this idea that he figured out, like, he wanted to take control of it. And so what he does, he basically, you know, he, he, was, he, was, he was trying to expand. They kept holding him back. And finally they just said, well, hey, if you, you know, want to do so much, you should dissolve the partnership and do it yourself. Right. And he, goes, and he, he sort of made sure everyone said that publicly. And then he went to the courthouse and filed the papers. Yeah. <laughs> and they didn't think he would do it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they didn't think he would do it. They thought they had power over him, but they didn't know what he yeah. wanted. They didn't know yeah. he had spent months Sounding out the bankers, just like he did before when he needed to get a loan, he would like 
you know, he, like he really played this long game, right? Yeah. He, uh, yeah. And and he prepared and like this is the thing is you can uh, certainly make lots of claims about the ethics of this of kind of tricking them into doing this thing, you know, because they their assumptions about reality were flawed. They assumed he didn't have the audacity. They assumed he didn't have the capital. They assumed they had all the leverage. And right. Rockefeller sort of let them deceive themselves and took advantage of it, which I think is fairly typical. Like, he, he wasn't lying to them. He would just let them lie to themselves <laughs> and take advantage of the situation for his own personal gain. And yeah. the ethics of it are a bit murky. But on the other hand, the virtue of it, I think it's like, he is clearly demonstrating superior virtue. Like, he, he deserves to win because he mm. played the game incredibly well. And yeah, he right. even, he like, he had to have extreme acting skills and foresight yeah. and wisdom and self-discipline and, yeah. and all these things. And so... See, I don't know whether it comes, uh, it comes through here, uh, even that Ida Turnbull and uh, a few other people He'll buy their property, and he will offer them Standard Oil shares. And right, it's in the future. We'll, we'll save that. Not in the chapter. We can Standard Oil doesn't exist yet. It's just Rockefeller and Andrews. Okay. Um, okay. But yeah, but like, okay. yeah, there's a lot of these sort of unforced choices. Yeah. Um, so they, they, but, they, but they say... We won't don't yeah. want shares, but then later on they complain that he cheated us. Yeah, you know? yeah, uh, yeah. And like I said, you know, there is a, there's this interesting dynamic, which I think we're going to come mm. back to, is that like, like at this stage when he's the underdog, yeah, right, it's easy to root for him, right? Like these, okay. the big bad yeah. Andrews brothers or the Clarks, mm. the Clarks, you know, yeah. were just bullying and profane. Like for him to hoodwink them, you know, as this junior clerk feels heroic, yeah. right? When he's yeah. the big, rich uh, businessman, and yeah. then there's these poor farmers who are being hoodwinked, it feels a little less heroic, <laughs> <laughs> a yeah. lot less heroic, right? And this is the interesting yeah. challenge. I think we're going to see this rather is like that, that uh, I mean, this my thesis is that like his virtues and his vices are not easily separated. And in the beginning, you know, the mm. virtues are clearly predominant, mm. But and and these sort of things, they seem like well, you know, that's a little sharp dealing, but it's not really on, you know, and maybe, but it, you know, uh, it's not unethical. He's still honest, you know, and like, and that's all true. But like over time, I think these things will accumulate, and we'll see how they play out yeah. you know, as we go through the story. But there's a wonderful yeah. line that says, "Die a hmm. hero, or live long enough to become the villain." It could be, yeah, it could be. But the thing is, you know, I mean. At this stage, in, the, in this chapter, uh, all his virtues are standing out. And then also, like, his tenacity and his <laughs> right? Uh, at this point... Well, like I said, to you, a, only his virtues are standing out. But I'm starting to see, like, huh, you know, that's a little morally gray here. You know, that's a little oh. sharp. That's a little bit, uh, you know, as I'm seeing these hints, in his mm. character, which may not, and this is an interesting question, which we may not resolve, or maybe it'll come back mm. later, is that, mm. I think we discussed it before, like, I see his inheritance from his father and his character yeah. as actually mm. deeply conflicted. In and, this chapter? Yeah. Mm. 
Give some right? Because I see, well, like I said, the fact that he used his partner's greed to, and arrogance to manipulate them into doing something that was good for him. Oh, okay. Right? And like, you know, it, you know like I said, it's in this ethical gray zone of, hmm. well, it's not like you lie to them, but you encourage them to lie to themselves based hmm. on the fact that you have way more information than they do. Yeah. Right? And there's this wonderful uh, podcast I was listening about fraud. It's just hmm. different kinds of fraud. Like one is where you just lie and cheat and steal money off the books, right? But right. there's another one where you are like doing legitimate things, okay. uh, but you're not doing the proper oversight. Like a lot of the like the bond salesmen who make enormous profits, uh, yeah. called control fraud, is that hmm. you know basically they would do their job, but they would take risky things that would only blow up occasionally after they had already collected their bonus, right? So it wasn't exactly illegal or even mm. like they were pretending to be something they were not. They just, but, the, but then the, the, the line between incompetence and fraud is kind of hard to judge. Mm. But then there's a third kind of thing called market fraud where it, it's not even well-defined because there's things which are considered sharp business in one jurisdiction which was blatantly mm. illegal, and mm. well, yeah, considered fun. normal in, in one phase because it's considered sharp in another. It's considered illegal in the next, and yeah. you know it's not obvious. Like you know, um, and this is a challenge: is that these things are in this, um, and 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 this actually gets there's a question of morality in here. Um, we're actually, let's do this one now because he talks about how he went to the oil fields. Uh, and yeah. he saw like it was just you know like the, like the American West or the the gold rush here. It's you know prostitution yeah. and gambling and and liquor, and it's yeah. really I think that Rod Chernoff says it confirmed, uh, in in something like it confirmed the rock and roller's mind that he was the paragon of virtue in a right. lawless place, right. right? And I looked at that and say, well, you know, on the one hand, you know, good for him that he's you know avoiding all this dissolute behavior, but as a mm. Christian. I'm always mm. suspicious of self-righteousness, mm, yeah, right? Exactly. To look down on others because they're sinful and I'm not, you know, mm. is a incredibly dangerous place to be for your soul. Mm. Even and perhaps especially when the evil outside is deeply apparent, right? Yeah. You know, and so you know, and this this idea of you know, what is morality? What is virtue? What does it mm. mean? How do we use the term? Mm. I think we may actually end up having to deal with. <laughs> um, right. Before that, so the, the last narrative I want to touch on is that mm. the same sort of um, calculation is apparent in his courtship. Right? He marries this girl who comes yeah. from a wealthy family who's fallen, fallen on hard times and mostly recovered, but they have a little bit of insecurity. And right. so she made it kind of clear to him. And she's also very studious and business-minded, um, but that, you know, he comes from a former she's family, very religious, although so. much more, but, but she's very she's religious. Very uh, right. So she's, she's like, she really is the perfect match for him. And part of that is like, well, you know, she basically made it clear to him, like, you know, we can be friends, but if you want to marry me, you've got to be a lot richer. <laughs> you know, it's kind of where she didn't say it, but that's kind of the, as far as we know, but that's kind of the, the yeah. message he got, which he is so, yeah. so that, that has another layer of, um, I guess romance to his drive for wealth. Mm. It's mm. not just 
you know, right, you know, hormones are a very powerful motivator for young men. And it's like, hey, yeah. uh, in addition to everything else that makes me want to get rich, when I get rich, I get to marry my girl. You yeah. know, that, uh, I mean, that, that, was, that was how civilization ran for a few thousand years, right? Yeah, right. Go ahead and get rich so you can get married and have a girl. Yeah. Uh, you know, and actually, the, 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 before that, I was actually going off to war, I guess, and then it became getting rich. But yeah. the, um, the, the most interesting anecdote, they talked about how she wrote an essay about in New England, wealth is intellect. In the South, wealth is in the blood. Um, or, um, but, but, but in the Mid-Atlantic States, wealth is from money. And, and so oh, she kind oh, of like, her view is like, you know, that, that you know, you inherit royalty or whatever, right? Is that uh, New England royalty is about learning. Uh, Southern hmm. royalty is about, you know, your, your ancestry. And oh, the, okay. the, the Mid-Atlantic States, it's about your money. And yeah, there's still a certain truth to that. Or I mean, Boston, the highest status people are the, you know, professors at, you know, Boston, yeah. right? They're the doctors, you know, the, the, the people of learning. Um, in uh, the South, I don't know if that's still the case, but certainly the people who've lived there the longest and have had, you know, the most tradition and culture there. But certainly in New York, like the Wall Street bankers, uh, the largest closer mm. around, you know, that's kind of the... Uh, the World Trade Center, right? Money is the money is the king in New York, yeah. and uh, you know uh, uh, you talk about how different places have different royalties, uh, and you know actually ironically the two are ironies here. One is that he makes the point that you know she very sad much savaged the crassness of these New Yorkers, these nouveau riches who, um, and they're probably mostly going to be in commerce like Rockefeller 1.0 was people who just mm-hmm. bought and sold goods coming into New York's ports. There were a lot yeah. of people who made a lot of money that way. And she was very scornful of them. And then, you know, before the end of their lives, they were the people living in New York. And so they became what they despised, uh, which yeah. is funny, uh, evil sexual. And the second course is that, you know, where I live is basically um, more or less, we're all disciples of Rockefeller here. Right, that is our royalty to start from scratch and to, you know, hard work, shrewd dealing, outthinking your opponent, being in the right place at the right time. Like, that is the Silicon Valley dream. Is, is, is that now he is the person we emulate, not so much for his wealth. You know, Silicon Valley has a very deep, deeply conflicted view of wealth, as yeah. opposed to a lot of places where, uh, you know, wealth on opposition display is considered a good thing. Some common, right. like, like going to Florida because there are people aren't afraid to be rich. Um, but there's you know, cultural reasons why. Um, mm. I mean, there are people here who have like, you know, made millions of dollars who still, you know, like there was a guy at my previous startup who he had had an exit and made millions of dollars, did not need to work, but he still had a job as an engineer there because, like, why not? Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, and there's something, I think, intrinsic to the cultural norms of the area that it actually makes sense to hold those values. And that's why yeah. there's strong cultural pressure to conform to them, because if you don't have, and this is a, one of the um, sobering things that I've, I've realized, and you may not agree with this, which is fine, hmm. which is that a lot of what we consider <laughs> virtue and yeah. morality is actually hmm. due to our cultural circumstances rather than actually God's 
you know, understanding of what it means to be moral. Well, yeah, my favorite example is that when I was growing up, to be a man <laughs> meant you knew how to start your car in the cold. And if you didn't start, if you if you couldn't start your car on a cold winter day, you weren't a real man. Like that was a part of my cultural morality growing up. No, no, I, I don't think uh, morality had anything to do with it. I mean, the thing is, is that like the shame you felt from not being not doing that was a sliding slope to like not mowing your own lawn, not. Um, you know, keeping a tidy yard, not uh, providing for your family, you know, the nice things in life, to not being a good provider, right? To, like, the, 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 the idea is that emotionally, the sense of shame we feel at following these things is mm. more or less the same. And that yeah. is the idea of the law or cultural norms, or at least, um, um, uh, external law, right? Mm. Is that there's this external law, like these are the norms that you must behave like drinking and gambling and whoring. Like there's social yeah. evils there. Mm. And those yeah. are not, those are certainly real. Um, but, you know, the, you know, there's lots of gray area. Like, you know, is drinking itself evil? Well, is if it's a legal prohibition, maybe. And certainly the abolitionists and the temperance unionists would argue that that is a moral evil as opposed to just yeah. a cultural evil, you know? Right. I mean, and, and that's, you know, and that's a great one. I was actually talking with a friend of mine the other day. He goes, well, people don't seem to talk about, this guy was railing about how no one takes, you know, alcohol seriously as a devastating drug. And I oh, said, yeah. okay, was he writing in the, was he writing in the <laughs> uh, 2010s or the 1910s, right? Because, <laughs> no. like, you know, people I, do it at different points, you know, yeah, and, let me, and, let me and, and, and... you. Let me sure. you for one second. I was listening to a yeah. sermon one time, and that guy said, alcohol is evil. They just did the wrong um, translation. When Jesus turned ah, water into yes. wine, it was not wine. It was a grape. Oh, yeah. I've heard wrong. that. Yeah. Oh, okay. Anyway. Yeah. Okay. I mean, people, yeah. Well, I mean, it, it, don't get me started on people rewriting scripture to conform to their conventional morality. But, yeah. but I, I was going to say, like, this is. I think this is actually an interesting um, lens, and maybe this is the chapter title on this one, which mm. is the uh, ambiguous morality, right? Mm. Is that there's, it is, because in times of, like, there's certain things that were, like, the norms for how business was done, right? right? And, and what's interesting about those norms is that, they, is that cultural norms tend to match the status quo. Right. Right. It's like, hey, let's mm. all play nicely by these rules and we'll all get along fine. Yeah. Uh, you know, we like, uh, um, I don't know who was talking about, like, we, um, uh, I was talking to a friend of mine who was at a community college. And there was this okay. sort of gentleman's agreement that community colleges don't poach either, each other's students. Um, okay. Because when you do that, you get this race to the bottom and it's a mess and, you know, it creates all this acrimony and stress for everybody and actually doesn't make anybody better off in the long okay. run. Uh, and this doesn't make any of the colleges better off in the long run because you get into this sort of price war. But with the Internet, suddenly you're offering courses online. Uh, and right. suddenly, you know, if someone just randomly starts taking your course online from a different county, like, why should you, you know, you, you shouldn't stop him. <laughs> but then it changes the game. And then, like, mm. and you can look at it and say, well, you know, from your perspective, I can see how it made sense as a producer to have that. But from a consumer perspective, like, shouldn't I have choice if there's a better offer right. somewhere? Shouldn't I find it? And right. 
the this is the ambiguous morality is that mm. there's certain things uh, that and there's lots of things that are unhealthy for the soul right that you can mm. say there is an internal morality that is true but like you know people today would argue that greed is far more corrosive to the soul and society than you know alcohol for oh, yeah. example definitely yeah, yeah. Right? right but that was unthinkable in rockefeller's but you know but 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 you know you're talking about which is a more evil or lesser evil or whatever evil well i'm not saying like, my point is, is that is that is that there's some ambiguity here yeah. right is that it's the, sort of the opposite yeah. of moral clarity i mean so right. rockefeller had moral clarity right he was clear yeah. that he was virtuous and he was the good guy he was the hero of the story yeah. right no, um, no, we talked and... about this you know in a smaller scale right and i mean uh when the I never drive the speed limit. I drive 77, mm. right? In a 70-mile yeah. zone. Uh, it's illegal, right? But everybody yeah. does it. But look, so it's right, allowed. And, 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 so. <laughs> yeah, and you know, like, you know, what is, is there grace? Is there a fuzz factor? Yeah. You know, yeah. and, 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 like, and the really, thing is, is that, like, you get really what? <laughs> I get really mad at the guy going 90 past me. <laughs> What did Neil say? There's, there's only two kinds of drivers: the uh, the idiot who goes slower than you, and the lunatic who goes faster than you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I always tell my right? mom, "Look at this idiot; he's driving 90." <laughs> so anyway, yeah, that's on the side note. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry, that's a lunatic going 90. But yeah, the uh, but no, and this is the thing: is a lot of what we think of as morality, right, mm. is sort of our egocentric cultural norms. Mm. Right. This is how people like me do this. Mm. And this is how, yeah, it's interesting. I was going to go there, but uh, Sunday and I are listening mm. to this um, pastor from Nigeria. Right. Who had this extraordinary encounter with Jesus. Mm. And usually this is all these wonderful, you know, I love you. But like Jesus comes and basically like, you know, has one of these, you know, like revelation churches, like, Hey, you say you follow mm. me, but, you know, mm. but just because you're doing all these miracles and all this evangelism, your heart is far from me. And I would mm. say, depart from me. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> you know, I oh. never knew you. Yeah. So it's mm. really intense um, mm. and kind of refreshing. And my first reaction is it was like, you know, uh, was not so much like what's wrong with this guy, but like, dang, God must really trust this guy a lot to give him this really hard truth. Because most people right. wouldn't be able to hear this. Right. And you know, a lot of, I mean, uh, there's this book that a friend of uh, my father-in-law gave me called The Forgotten Ways by Alan Hirsch. And he talks about Christendom as sort of this cultural norm of what church and Christianity is that we've had for a thousand years or so. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah, and he, and, yeah. Yeah, and he makes a very clear place that, like, that is not actually the gospel. <laughs> you know, mm. that is a cultural form which has oh, yeah. some strengths and weaknesses. But like, yeah. uh, and you and I have gone through this in various other contexts, right? Like disentangling yeah. the two is excruciatingly difficult, especially right. like with Rockefeller, where it's part of his identity, mm. right? This sort of uh, you know, Protestant work ethic Baptist mentality where mm. virtue is primarily about, you know, not like, you know, the, the, there are other, I don't know if there's other religious traditions, but there's mm. certain, certainly there have been plenty of religious Christians that have just despised wealth, right? That that have ver made a virtue out of poverty. You know, Rockefeller Baptists mm. were not one of those, right? Right. right. Um, um, and 
I'm not saying that they're good. I mean, I, I definitely don't qualify as poor by anybody's definition of the term, right. although you can feel right. poor living at Silicon Valley even with a six-figure income. Um, right. like you can literally be, you can actually be below the poverty. A family of four making a six-figure income is actually below the poverty line in Santa Clara County because the cost of housing mm, and cost of living is so high. It's crazy. Um, but anyway, the, 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 the thing is, is that it's, it's not wrong, but it's not right. It's like they have a point. Right? There is a danger in wealth, and Jesus has many warnings Dr. about the dangers of, of wealth, right? right. You know, and you know, my friends who are you know, in the sort of the more, like, God doesn't want you to be poor, it's like, well, that's kind of true, but yeah. I love the phrase that, like, you know, there's the spirit of poverty, which is bad, but the spirit of mammon is equally bad. Right. <laughs> and trying to find this radical center between the two is, is, is always yeah. a challenge. So. Anyway, I okay, think I want to I want to touch on something yeah. else. I, I sure. want to touch on something else that uh, before we finish, just uh, sure. something else. I know we'll talk about this more and more, right? Because what we talked about will show up in different chapters. Um, but uh, what I want to talk about was somewhat uh, his uh, experiences resonate with mine. Mm. Because, you know, when I was starting to practice, I had to kind of. Uh, uh, make up as I went along in several mm-hmm. things, right? Because it was a brand new frontier, yeah. uh, right? Uh, even colonoscopy, I went to a course, but you know, you cannot do that. So I had to figure out a way to do it. I even went to the x ray department to see where my colonoscope was because I couldn't move it, uh, that type of thing. And finally, uh, learned how to do it right. And then I was able to do it first once, took a couple of hours. Now we can do it in 20 minutes and stuff like that. So a uh, lot of other things. And now your son does it with a robot in like robot, you know, yeah, minutes, he right? Ro- yeah, he's the same <laughs> song. So, so the thing is I had to make up things as I went along. And some of them I uh, just uh, learned uh, from other people. Uh, some, uh, some of them I had to do it on my own because I, I know how it was done, So, but I had to go and do it. Like you know the prostate surgery that I did in uh, in uh, Nigeria and uh, in uh, also in uh, Swaziland, because I've never done it here. So yeah, a lot of things I had to do things uh, for the first time. Uh, yeah, without having done it before. So uh, I some of these things resonate with it because there was no real role model. Uh, at that mm. time, right? Uh, I mean, maybe, there are other people in the world they, doing it, but you didn't have access to them, right? There was no online community of first-time uh, all right, yeah, no, yeah. that you could get support there, there from. No you YouTube. had to figure it all out. So, yeah, right. Uh, no, TV <laughs> to go and watch, you know. So yeah, uh, but, so that's uh, that, uh, resonated with me, and uh, even some of the business practices, uh, and also, you know. I had to make decisions whether to send people to collection agency, which was a real moral dilemma. Yeah. Right? Because, you know, yeah. for me, uh, everybody has insurance. So you take the insurance money. But what happens yeah. if, it, uh, if they don't pay the second part, you send them reminders. And but one time I was really upset because there was a um, a nurse's husband, I did the surgery. Mm. And they, they paid him the money. Oh, and the direct reimbursement. Yeah. Reimbursement to him. 
and he didn't say anything. So yeah, we sent reminders. So now I worked with this woman, right? So I finally I said, wow. you know, what's going on? Is there a problem? Uh, we've sent this thing, and they said they sent it to him. He hasn't paid me back. And she said, no, I'm very sorry, doctor. He went and uh, got a new uh, bow hunting for hunting with that money. Oh. Yes. Uh, so so oh. it's, a, it's a dilemma. So uh, yeah. So, but she said, you know, I'll I'll pay it back in installments, and uh, mm. she did. She did. I, but I actually remember. Said, actually, well, you know, it's funny. Just it's funny. It's funny you told me the story because I remember seeing that uh, when I was doing your books, but I never knew the backstory on that. <laughs> So, so what do you do? You know, I mean, when a guy does something yeah. totally inappropriate, there's a natural tendency to send him to collection agency and garnish from his salary, yeah. right? Yeah. Is it the moral thing to do? Yeah, and it's ambiguous, right? Because, like, you know, if you do that too much and people take advantage of you, your wife will uh, have some things to say about that, <laughs> right? <laughs> No, you know, yeah, I did. Uh, 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 so, uh, at that time, I did my own billing. I did my own these things. Finally, later in my practice, maybe the last year or two, I went to a billing company. Those they take care of it. But even yeah. they would I tell I, uh, me, yeah, uh, that these are the people that we are going to send for, uh, you know, garnishing. Collection. We want to do that. Yeah. And nine out of ten, I would say, no, forget it. But yeah. uh, depending upon, and then the other thing that happened was, pastors will come to me for surgery, and mm. I will tell them uh, or other doctors, I will say, I don't really want to charge you, but I'll take what the insurance company gives me. Right. And so the problem with that, because the insurance company pays only like eighty percent, so right. the, the doctors have to come up, or the pastors have to come up with other twenty percent. I don't want their yeah. money. So yeah. when I did that, professional courtesy and things came, like that. Yeah, the insurance company came back to me and said, "This is not right. You are charging yeah. them different from my other patients." You know, uh, so we are going to give you only eighty percent of what you give anybody else. Right. <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, so like you see their from. <laughs> you can see their point, right? Is that if people start no, gaming the system like this. It doesn't matter to that. Well, here's the thing, thing then. Is it, is, it, is, it, is it if your actual fees yeah. are this and they're paying you 80% of that, like, so a dog, let me just give you a minute. A doctor says, okay, I'm actually going to charge these guys 120K. Okay. Uh, I'm going to write to the billing thing and we get mm. 80%, and then he and I are going to split the extra, uh, the, 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 the money, right? Is it, is it basically they, they uh, see it as fraud. You say that your price is X, <laughs> but it's actually eighty percent of X, right? What if you what if you lie to them? What if you lie to them about what the procedure or cost was? Would that be fraud? Yeah, that would be. But but no, the, the, but from their perspective, it's not their money I'm giving away. It's my money I'm giving away. I'm not. Well, they're supposed to give eighty percent of that anyway. Eighty percent of what? 80% of my charges. Of the list price. Yeah, list price, yeah. Right, right, the actual list price, right? And so yeah. the issue is that, is that well, is the list price, is the list price <laughs> same for everyone? Or are you allowed to charge different no. people different prices? No, no, no. So, right, 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 anybody right, else, right. anybody else, that if they don't pay the uh, 20%, I write it off. Right. Right? I, I Not only the I willingly do it. 
But it's not a yeah, I understand. Like, yeah, so that's how I think. I understand the way you look at it, but this is the yeah. interesting thing, right? Yeah. Is that uh, you know if, uh, if you know like when you're running a business, <laughs> right? Mm. You, no, but you, you have to earn I don't make up the. I don't make up the price. It's usually standard. It's a it's a uh, it's a formula you use, right? And then right. you, that's so, what you, you charge. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I, yeah. I, I'm not going to like, like I, <laughs> you behave ethically and morally in this situation, okay? But yeah. I can see how like, just like like I like you can make a case that Rockefeller behaved ethically and morally in the situation yeah. with his partners. That's I can understand why they might have a perspective that differs on that because uh, they feel like they're on the short end of the stick because they didn't mm. feel like, because mm. they assumed certain things were true mm. and then they found out that they were not true. And so mm. they feel like they were taken advantage of, right? Maybe are they right? Are they wrong? I don't know. We actually have different social norms in different contexts, right? Like bartering in India is a whole mm. different set of social norms than right. you know using coupons in America. No, bargaining. And, yeah, bargaining. Yeah, bargaining. Not bargaining. Bar- bargaining. Bargaining. Yeah, or yeah. bartering. Even you know the value of things. Is the story of Abraham yeah. Lincoln? Uh, you know, uh, did a, like a blind horse trade, and he brought a broken down horse, and someone brought mm. him a wooden sawhorse. <laughs> or he brought <laughs> a wooden sawhorse, and someone brought him a really bad horse. And he's like, yeah. uh, I think I'm the first time I got a, like. And that was just considered, you know, you know, horse trading was understood to be a high risk thing. And understanding the rules of the game, like mm. what's fair and not fair, and what people feel is fair, is really mm. hard. Oh yeah, that's um, true. That's true. Yeah, but yeah, you know, I mean, and, and, they, they may even say, I, even the charges that we make, uh, will say you're charging a lot for a twenty minute work. You're charging a lot. Yeah. Uh, right. So yeah. The, for just for that, do they have to slow down and do it for two hours instead of twenty minutes? No. Yeah. Right. So, right, right. Like, yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, all right. So we call it here, and then uh, you yeah. Can okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. Can I call you back. Okay. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. All right. Love you, Dad. Talk to you later. Love you. Bye. Bye. Bye.